Uh, Jack, Jack, quick moment of your time, please. How does it feel to finally discover the Villa Talks podcast? Um, best day of my life. Great, there you have it. Back to you at the studio. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Villa Talks podcast, another episode of the Late Night Ramble. Got a very special guest today with us for our first Late Night Ramble of the new year of 2021. We've got Mr. Rod Humble, former CEO of Second Life Creator Linden Lab, uh, Chief Creative Officer of Toy Talk and former Executive Vice President of EA Play uh, and part of EA that was responsible for the Sims franchise, if you ever played that. I know a very, very popular game franchise uh, played by many very excited to have you on, Rod. How are you? Great to have you on, mate. Very good. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was a great time. I, and nowadays I work at Paradox Interactive. And with Paradox people, Interactive, yes. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah. The, with the people who do Cities and Stellaris. And nice. nice. That's from last year, wasn't it? You, you yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. There's a, I formed a new studio here in the Bay Area within Paradox. So, yeah, we're working oh, on an awesome. unannounced game that I. It's going to be awesome. I'm not going to lie. It's just going to be fantastic. So anyway, give us, it, give, so, us a, give us you can give us a hint. No, no, no. Nobody exclusive on the Villa Talks podcast. Uh, no, nobody's going to be surprised when they see right. it. But I hope okay. that they will be pleased. They'll be like, right. "Oh, that fits with what he does," and that's yeah. really nice. So yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. How how has it been at uh, Paradox Interactive for for the last year or so? Uh, love it. I, honestly, I think that it's a um, as a company, it's a, it's a Swedish company. Um, all of the senior executives, the CEO, the CTO, and the COO are all women, which I don't know whether it makes a difference, but they have been phenomenal. Like this past year, it has been like, okay, we've got, we've got uh, emergent. This is a disaster. How do we help all of our colleagues? And um, from day one, it's been like, you know, we're, we're, nobody's trying to force anybody to go, you know, into offices. It's all like, very collaborative. So it's been great. Really, really well handled. And, um, you know, hopefully we've been continuing to serve all of our customers. Well. Excellent. Excellent. So when, when do you expect the new new game to be ready? And uh, I, I'm launched? not allowed to say. All because, right. Okay. Because if, if I talk about launch dates, competitors will also know when I'm doing it. So I, I can't. But yeah, uh, but we've been we've been at it for about, you know, you you know, when we will announce, which is, I guess. Sure. And will that be what that be PC only or? How, how will that work? What platforms? Uh, it, it, it'll be on all the platforms you want it to be, the AAA right. platforms, yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. I, I said that before. Is, yeah. It'll be on AAA, the, the big platforms, AAA. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Great. Well, great to have you on. Really excited to have you on. Um, Going to be talking about all things Villa, obviously. Talking about uh, Rod's sort of journey being a Villa fan, uh, how he got to America and what he does now, what it's like and the experiences he has over there supporting Villa so far away. Uh, be really good insight into into what it's like for our, our American fans or fans in America or North America. Um, talk obviously about the Liverpool game that's coming up um, as well and preview that. And then obviously it wouldn't be a late night ramble without uh, with our favourite segment, sorry, of Didier Six. So Rod's got three things that he wants to put into uh, Aston Villa's version of Room One Hundred One. So we'll uh, be looking forward to that. But Rod, I suppose firstly, um, just for well, just for those who who don't know. Uh, you, uh, in terms of your background, it'd be good to just uh, for them to understand sort of where you've been in terms of your career, what you've done in, in sort of the computer gaming industry, and uh, what you're currently doing. You know, we've touched on it already in, in sort of the intro, but just in a bit more detail would be really good. Sure, I'll, I'll try and make it super quick because it's people are continuing for Villa, not not games. But yeah, I um, 
so I've been in the business since 1988, I think. Um, and uh, my first game was called The Humans, which did really well in the UK and like hit number one in the charts. And then I've been making games ever since. I've, either as a game designer, a programmer, or head of studio or CEO. And um, there's some famous games and studios I've worked on. I, um, I ran the, um, uh, the EverQuest studio. Um, I uh, ran the, as you said, the Sims uh, studio, Electronic Arts, um, OC of Second Life. Um, I, I worked at uh, Jam City, where I ran uh, two studios for them. Uh, worked on a bunch of large games there, like you know, Panda Pop and um, the Harry Potter games. Um, and now I work at Paradox Interactive, um, and we're the people who brought you um, uh, we're the people. I like I worked on it. I arrived here after they'd done it, but um, it's, yeah. uh, that's the company that published uh, City of Skylines, yeah. uh, which is made by Colossal Order. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm a, uh, a game maker and I've kind of done a bit of everything in the business. Um, and um, yeah, I've been in it, been in the business for, I guess, 30 years now, which is wow. incredibly scary to say. Yeah. Um, how, how, did, how did you get into the, the industry then? Was it, was it in, so in the UK with, with humans, that was the first, first step. How did you get into gaming then? I um, was um, unemployed with no qualifications and applied, and they scooped me right up. You know, it was, <laughs> it was, no, I uh, so th there was a job interview in a a PC magazine uh, back in England. I forget which one it was, and um, it's it was advertising for a job called at a, uh, called a game designer at Imagitech. And I couldn't believe it because it seemed to say that there was an actual job where you could make money by thinking of games and not actually creating them, but actually thinking about games and how to make, you know, how they're going to work. And I was like, well, I can't be right, but sure. So I, you know, sent out my resume, which consisted of I've made, I, cause I've always made games by myself, board games I've made since I was a kid. Like here's all the games I've made by myself. The ones I've designed. Martin Hooley got me up for an interview um, and said, can you do the job? I was like, yeah. He was like, all right, you got the job. And so I drove up there and uh, uh, one of the uh, guys, the programmers, had a big house of lads on the team who lived with me. He was like, yeah, come and bunk in with me until you need a place. And so that was it. Right. That was my first job. It, awesome. was, uh, it was pretty great. And I think that just because games development at the time, there was no path into it at all. It was like, well, there's no university courses because they haven't been around for very long. So yeah, it was uh, it was a, it was a pretty great opportunity. Awesome, awesome. I, I could I could sit here and talk about gaming for ages and talk about some of your favorite games, but <laughs> mm. maybe we should do maybe we should uh, branch off and do a gaming podcast. I think that would be good. Villa uh, talks gaming. Yeah, I'd love to know what everybody's everybody's favorite games is. But uh, yeah, yeah, I play I play an awful lot of FIFA, awful lot of Pairs, awful lot of Football Manager. You know? Oh, Pairs. I miss I miss the old Pairs. I still play it now, but. It's not the same, is it? It's not the same as it was on the. PS2 it's not. The, it's not the same, and I think that sadly they've fallen behind in the production value wars with EA. You know, I, I think it's 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 starting to get pretty noticeable. But anyway. Yeah, but I mean, even FIFA's gone a bit. Um, I think they rested on their laurels a little bit, haven't they? Because they've been so dominant. Um, they haven't I, I, the game now. I'm I'm ex EA, so I I could ne I would never criticize my old colleagues. You know, oh, I, I still got loyalty. To them. Still got <laughs> yeah. loyalty. To them. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, another uh, well, the club that you got loyalty to, Aston Villa, obviously. Mm -hmm. Here is what we're here to talk about. How how did you so explain how you started off being a Villa fan? What your early experiences were like? 
Um, I've hated sports as a kid because I was so into games and war games in particular. I used to play with little toy soldiers. But my best friend, um, Bruce, uh, from around the corner, uh, was an Aston Villa fan. And it sort of seeps into your blood, you know, when he's reading um, David Platt's World Cup diary to me. <laughs> and then David Platt scores that um, that free kick. And he's like, oh, my God, let's read it together. So that's how I kind of caught the bug. And then, uh, you know, he took me to a game or two. Um, but the really what turned me on to football in general was um, playing kickoff. I don't know if you remember that, that old game. But I got into football from computer games. So I didn't go the other way around at all. It was it was like, oh, kickoff's really fun. And I used to remember playing, um, uh, we went on a holiday with a bunch of war gamers and we had a round robin game of kickoff. And I think I won the tournament as Russia because Russia was OP because they were too fast in the, old, in the original kickoff. Um, and I was like, you know what? There's something about football that I didn't appreciate until now. And I think it was the... The fact that all of the agents were effectively equal. And so as a, as a game designer, that is a really interesting mechanic is multi-agent games are always interesting to me anyway. And so having 22 of them, and then you get to see all the strategies, that's what got, got me hooked. And then, yeah, Bruce just put the, you know, the match to the, the petrol and I was like, yeah, this is, this is my team. Um, and I, I, I'll, 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 I'll spoil you may ask you know who's one of your iconic players but to, to me the first time I saw Tony Daly play I was just like well there you go I didn't even know football players could do this I didn't know I could be so excited to see a player just running past me and I really I was just giddy I was like look at him it's Tony Daly look at him go it was so great <laughs> and I, I I think that you kind of fall in love with I don't, I don't know for me anyway I fell in love with the player and then a club. And then, you know, of course, I moved to America as well. So I sort of lost touch with with all of that. I couldn't go to games anymore. Um, but yes, that's how I got into it was uh, Tony Daly and my friend Bruce Clay. That awesome. was pretty great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I remember kick, well, I remember Super Kickoff uh, is the first ever football game I ever played. Yeah. Uh, so I was, uh, my first computer system, well, gaming system was Commodore 64. Um, mm. So that was my first one. Then I went to the Sega Mega Drive. And then it was all about uh, uh, Italian 90, football Italian 90. And that, so that good. So good. Such a good game. And then I think FIFA 95 or 6 was after that. But then, uh, yeah, so many games. Are we, well, 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 maybe we'll touch on some of your favourite football games as well then, because that's always interesting. But so were you, uh, were you, did you live in Birmingham or was you just your friend Sporting Villa? No, I, I, I did. I, I supported in um, a little village called Blakedown. It's uh, between uh, Kidderminster and um, Hagley. So it's on, right. on the Hagley yeah. road. That's yeah, yeah. where I lived. And, uh, you know, football choices there are, you know, Kitty Harriers, which I loved. And, you know, great, great team. But they really weren't going to be challenging anytime for anything, really. Uh, or uh, my friend's villa, so I, I picked Villa. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. So when, when did you move to the US then? What what year was that? It was 1990 or 1991. So I, I, I got my job and then they were like, hey, we need somebody. I don't game design was a lot quicker then. So I think it was nine months. Like I'd ship my first game and it was doing well. And then um, they had a business arrangement with a company called Game Tech in Miami. And they're like, hey, we need somebody we need somebody to take the bullet and go and live on Miami South beach 
and uh, work with this partner company. And I was like, and I'm, I must go. <laughs> and uh, so I managed to wangle myself on the, pl- on the flight and nice. um, uh, moved uh, to South Beach. And then when that term was up, the company in America, GameTech, were like, hey, do you mind if we get you a green card? Would you like to work for us instead of going back to England? Um, and you know, it was a choice between Dewsbury in Yorkshire or Miami. And I was like, well, tough, okay. Tough, tough choice. <laughs> yeah. And as a, as a young, you know, young guy in my early 20s, being a man, Miami at South Beach was just kind of, and I, they, they also, the company put me up in a hotel that was re- frequented by um, all of the Miami modeling agencies. So I, I, and I thought this was normal, right? Like, so I, I get to my apartment and I'm getting the elevator. I'm like, holy shit, American women are like, what is going on? I feel like I've been living. <laughs> but actually, I just lived in the same building as all the modeling agencies with right, the right. models. And it was, it was no, no wonder you stayed. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> awesome. So what was it like um, in those years? Because obviously you, you said you, you sort of lost touch with Villa. And I imagine, you know, obviously compared to what it is now where streams are available, America has all the games on and, you know, you pay a monthly subscription and there's, there's so many opportunities to watch the games now. Back then, I imagine it wouldn't have been that easy. Yeah, it, it was part of the reason I I had to give it up, you know, or, or at least get to the, the distant fan of like, oh, well, I'll check the results and I'll see. But there's at the time, there was literally no way, you know, I just couldn't like it was, it was not um, possible in, I think, 1990, or at least I didn't know why. Um and then over time, streaming got better and better, but still, it's still pretty bad. I mean, you know, one one of my one of my rants, well, it may go into the into the um, the room one hundred and one stuff later, but but I think that TV coverage of football it's stuck in the nineteenth century. Like like you know, I'm a business person in games, and we had to go through this digital transition as well for retail of like, oh, yeah, we want you, the customer, to trudge to a location, enjoy our entertainment and trudge back or you know, pick it up. And I just feel like football is – obviously no positives have come out of COVID. It's all negative. But I, I, I do think it may serve as a, a way for us to push forward a little bit into making football more accessible because football coverage, it really is terrible. As we all found out in the championship – those dark days and i don't know how it was in england but i can tell you in the states you know you want to watch the championship <laughs> well you you're you're going to go to a dodgy russian site uh, where you're looking at uh, torrents you know cuz it's it's hard hard stuff yeah yeah so what so those those early years then um how did you check the scores was it because obviously internet was was completely in a completely different place there. Was it just speaking yeah. to family members on the phone? Was it? Yeah, it's family members. Although all my family hate uh, football, um, so you know, I I could chat with my friend Bruce for a while, but then then he died relatively young. So sadly, uh, oh, sorry uh, to hear that. It, oh, sorry. Out of the blue, he was hiking in Puerto Rico, and just said apparently to his friends, "I I need to sit down for a bit. You guys hike ahead." Came back down, and he just died on the rocks. So, Terrible. Yeah. yeah, I think it was heart failure or something. Um. But yes, he's a great guy, but thank you. Um, but yeah, he, after that, it was a case of you look at newspaper. So the um, some of the local newspapers would have it back in the day. I can't believe I used to check newspapers for sports scores. How, how like, 19th century is this? Yeah, but no. then over time, the internet did start to pick up. Um, 
you know, AOL online, all that sort of stuff started to happen. And because I was, I was, you know, working at a games company, obviously I had internet access, you know, or the best available at the time. So what, what's been some of your favorite memories over in America watching Villa play? Uh, any sort of highlights of being around oh, other fans or? Yeah, or like that? I went, I went to um, one of the uh, friendlies. Um, uh, I, 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 I I'm not going to say anything negative about anybody associated with Villa. I went to one of the friendlies when Paul Lambert was in charge. Um, and the fans were great. <laughs> it was really <laughs> great to meet all the fans. I went to the one up in Portland. Uh, oh, Portland Timbers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, they, yeah. they got out the guy with the chainsaw. Um, Tom Hanks remember? was in that one, wasn't he? I think. Yeah, he was. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was the one with Barry Bannon hit this like laser and it hit like blah, blah. Yeah, here's, here's a measure of how far we have come, Villa fans. For anybody who was like worrying, like, oh, we're in bad shape. Barry Bannon was the star player on that pitch that day. Like, he he was bossing it. That's how far we've come. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I remember. I watched it live. I was, uh, I was, it was during Ramadan at the time. Uh, oh, so yeah. I, was up, I was up anyway. Right. Uh, starting my fast so the game was on so I just stayed up and watched it and you're right it was even then as Villa fans you were sort of oh this is really exciting you know Barry Bannon he could be a star or whatever you know you just yeah. it was a new era wasn't it back then with Paul yeah, Lambert so yeah so I mean what's what's the fan base like over there where you are do you know do you know many Villa fans I do yeah there's um there's a few local here in uh San Francisco um there's uh the ones I met uh up, uh, up in Portland were great. I think as a community, we're just really kind of friendly because we are, uh, yeah, we're well outnumbered in the United States, as you can imagine. Um, and uh, so I think whenever we find one of each other, we're just super nice. So it's, it's a good scene, a good vibe and a lot of good people. Um, it's awesome. really nice. So how, how do you, what's your uh, routine, I suppose, uh, in terms of watching Villa games this, this present time, especially well, this season, given how well we're doing. What, what, what have you been doing? Where you've been watching them? Who you've been watching it with? So, so over the years, I have come to practice emotional self-defense when it comes to Villa, and I, I think that this season is one of the few ones that I'm able to peek my head above the couch because it got so bad over the past few years, like really the past ten years, that I got to the point of I didn't make any effort to watch it live. It was like, you know what, if we've lost, I just would sooner know, so I don't want to waste my time. And if I, if there's anything I need to watch, I'll do it. So my ritual ended up, um, uh, one, one ritual was I would wake up and go to the Villa Talks uh, website and look at the post-match, scan down and look at the first comment. And if the first <laughs> comment was crap or something like that i'd be like and i'm done i'm not going to ruin my weekend i can pick the bones out of this after i've had my coffee it's fine and if it was like you know sensational out of the world i'd be like all right i don't want to see the result i just want to watch the replay tuck in with a nice cup of coffee you know because nice. i, I like would that. usually that's a good idea yeah, yeah it's a bit like watching match of the day back in the day where you didn't know the score and uh, you got excited for it yeah but at least you yeah, know there's a potential positive outcome there. exactly and i know it's cheating and you know, and I am absolutely aware I'm being a crybaby and not a real fan. But you know what? I'm not at the ground, so I don't believe my lack of presence is actually affecting the players. <laughs> so, I, so yeah, it's, it's, an, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting point though. We'll come on to this later because obviously we've got the FA Cup game coming on, and we had a not a heated debate, but a, a debate on the last one with uh, myself, Jugsy, Chadzi, and Deckers about FA Cup and the fans not being there and that kind of stuff. But I think it also lends itself into the conversation around other fans who can't be there. 
in terms of location and things like that where you know they're watching from afar and how they must feel and i think we forget that sometimes as fans who are quite lucky that we can go to every game if we want uh, for fans who are not there whether they've started supporting villa living abroad whether there were fans here and moved away whatever it is um you know i don't think we realize what they have to go through to watch a villa game <laughs> or, or have that experience and, and how isolated they are from from that yeah i, feeling, I, I suppose yeah it's it's it is different and i think oddly this year and again there are no positives to COVID. It's awful. One of the few things that I've got out of it is that I've genuinely felt closer to Villa fans because usually there's a barrier between us overseas fans and local fans who can go to games. And, you know, it, it, there is a, I can tell you as an overseas fan, there is definitely an insecurity because a local fan can always drop the bomb, well, were you at the game, right? So if you have an opinion, and you're like, oh, I, I think Holly played great. It's like, well, were you at the game? It's like, well, no, I wasn't. It's like, okay. And it automatically kind of puts you in your place. And it's like, well, that feels uncomfortable. Whereas this year, this season, we've all been in the same boat, uh, which has kind of leveled the playing field and has felt, it's kind of felt bonding to me. Um, and I, I listen I listen to the podcast. I listen to them all because uh, I love the podcast, but I, I did want to disagree a little bit, but for some of us at least, being at the game isn't the whole thing. It can't be the whole thing. And actually, I would love to see us win the FA Cup this year. And the fact that fans aren't there wouldn't make any difference to me whatsoever. I would just be delighted, you know, in the same way that the Liverpool victory in many ways doesn't make any difference to me because I just saw all the joy that we all had, you know. To me, the, the Villa Talks post-match point I think has become, you know, going down to the pub afterwards with your mate and you see it or, or whoever is doing like these post-match things. I, I like that. And I, I would hope that podcasts will take that and run with it. Um, and I love the, um, the watch alongs as well. I, I, so I, 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 that's what I mean when I say I'd like football and Villa football in particular to move forward a little bit is I think we've got a big opportunity and this is a big club and it's only going to get bigger and we've got to find a way to get millions of fans for our football club because we think it's great. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's only so many you can fit into a ground. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, And I think, obviously, uh, it's a shame that I think where social media has been, has it's been a dramatic rise in terms of the number of users and how it's used and, you know, Man United Liverpool fans and Arsenal fans, you know, the, the, the fan content that they have, the watch-alongs that they have, they get thousands and thousands of views. Just during that period, the last 10 years, really, where Twitter's sort of gone crazy uh, and YouTube's gone crazy, Villa have just been so poor. Um, it's just a massive shame. Uh, whereas now we've got a chance now to capitalise on that, um, especially with fans not being able to go uh, to, to games. And that's probably why you've seen so many Villa podcasts now coming out, I think, because fans, you know, like myself and other fans, not able to go to the games. They want to talk about the game, whereas they were able to talk about it with their mates at the ground or after the match, driving on the way home. Now they can do it via a podcast or whatever. Um, hopefully that progresses and then we are able to have that kind of fan content that other clubs do have, the bigger so-called bigger clubs have. That's what we need, you're right. It's, uh, it's something I've never really thought about, actually. It's a really interesting point you raised there. Um, but, you know, you're, I think you're right, and we'll, we'll come on to the Liverpool game in a second, but there's so much more that, that can be done. Um, and it's great to hear that you feel more engaged with the fan base. I think I, I agree with you completely around, you know, you're not at the ground, you don't know what it's like. You know, that's a very easy, very dismissive attitude to have because so many people can't go to the games. 
Um, and so there's so many, you know, Villa fans abroad as well um, that we, you know, that love the club just as much as fans are able to go to the games. It doesn't really matter, does it? End of the day. I, I, I would hope so, yeah. And I, I also think that the club, um, I, I would love to see the club. I've been harassing them privately for years by email. I, I don't take it to social media because there's no point. But I would just love the club to get its act together when it comes to ABTV as well. And, and particularly in the, um, in the championship, that hurt. Because I, I felt, you know, I think the club obviously had ownership struggles off the pitch. But that was the time we really needed a strong ADTV to show us full match replays, which they had the rights to, <laughs> like you know, or yeah, they yeah. could have signed up for the um, what is whatever it is, the standards service that I they follow, didn't. Yeah, yeah. But instead, we were left with neither, and we had to go to other clubs I follow channels, maybe occasionally, and that was just that was just small time, you know. I was like, come on, like we're better than that, surely. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree completely because I was I was living in London at the time uh, for most of that period, and uh, it was very difficult to go to games because my daughter was quite young. Um, so I was the same, same exactly same. You obviously not as far, but I was relying on you know ABTV. Even then, you know you'd have to use a probably shouldn't say this in the podcast, but a VPN or something like that to just yeah. to watch it. Yeah. Or or you know I, so I mean I'm, I get emails from the Reading I follow uh, <laughs> uh, the the. the the email list just because I use theirs a couple of times and other clubs I, like that, you know. I'm yeah. the same with Wigan. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I still get emails from Wigan of yeah. like, would you, would you, you know, because I watched the Villa game with them. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of which, by the way, there you go. There's Wigan, the ghost of Christmas future. I don't want to win the FA Cup and get relegated. So no. there you go. That's <laughs> no, no, no. Well, no danger of that, hopefully, this season. But let, yeah. let's talk about this season then, just quickly. Yeah. Um, what's it, what's it, what's your thoughts on this season? You know, you mentioned in terms of your, you know, you feel more engaged with the fan base, but in terms of Villa itself, the team, and how well they've done, how, how amazing is that? Is that for you? Being being in a, being in a country where you've had to sort of, like you say, stay under the radar a little bit because they've been so poor. Uh, it honestly, it's been the most enjoyable Aston Villa season certainly this century. You know, since you know two thousand, and I just love it. I love the fact that I I don't know, I can't sing the praises high enough of just everybody associated with this club. And I don't know when the turning point was, whether it was the ownership, whether it was Dean Smith, whether it was all of the backroom staff, whether it was the players, but for whatever reason, it clicked. And um, I just look forward to seeing them play. And I don't care when they lose. I just don't care because I, because you look and you're like, yeah, you gave it, you were competitive, like the Man U game. I was like, yeah, doesn't bother me at all. Because we were competitive. And, you know, I think we could legitimately say that VAR messed us up again. But it, it has been such a delight to see these players be attack-minded. You know, we're set up to go for it. Um, we're a solid team. Like, I, there have been so many positives in such a short period of time because, you know, if you check my Twitter, actually don't check my Twitter timeline. But if you do, if you were to, you would have seen towards the back end of last season, I was like, okay, I guess here we go again. You know, here we go again, back in the championship. I, I don't know what to do. I'm going to start watching Real Madrid for a few games, like <laughs> as a palate cleanser, right? Yeah, <laughs> to, yeah. to watch that. And then we came out back out of lockdown and the miracle occurred. And... I, you know, I was still kind of uneasy because I was like, well, we got away with the skin of our teeth. 
But then those first games, we hit the ground running, a really shaky start against Sheffield, I thought. I thought we were nervous. And maybe we were a little bit fortunate, but we looked nervous. But from then on, it was just like, who are these players? Who's who's this Trezeguet yeah. fellow yeah. Who, who showed up post-lockdown? You know, because whatever training he did or whatever he decided to do, he went from this fringe player to... I am now disappointed when I don't see his name on the team sheet. Um, it's amazing. Um, there's so many. I'd love to sing about all of the players, but um, he's he's one in particular. I'm just like, whoa. He's somebody who I'd kind of written off or was like, oh, well, shame, but, you know, he's a middling player. Just someone who just – that's what commitment gets you. you know, I, I, he's such a committed player. He's arguably the most committed player I've seen in terms of just going for it. Uh, since Tammy Abrahams that, that I've seen. And, and you know, I know, I know Tabby, Tammy, I remember your interview with Dan Bardell. He said, you know, Tammy, was, he's always been a Chelsea person, which is right. But Tammy Abrahams' commitment for us, he would put his face right in there, you know, to try and get something. And, you, you know, you look at um, uh, Trezeguet and he just, uh, he's just committed. <laughs> he's just an absolutely committed player. I, lo- I love that guy. Yeah, yeah, and I think actually, I guess Man United, we probably missed him. We needed that type of player, didn't we, on the right? And that's, I mean, Troy scored. I know he didn't have his best game, but against the bigger teams, I think Trezeguet. You saw against Liverpool. You know, he's so important to our team. He's so important to the way that we play and press. You know, he's he's fantastic, isn't he? And we have real competition. You know, and and I I think as you say, Traore, maybe he's adapting faster than last year's crop did to the Premier League. Maybe because he's played in it before. Um, but I think Traore has been a revelation and I just love having competition. Like, you know, instead of which of these, and again, I don't want to criticize any players we've had in the past, but you know, which of these middling players who might come good one day, do we want to roll the dice with this week versus which of these proven good players are we going to pick from the pick this week because for the opposition or how they've been or are based on form. It's a great situation to be in. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and uh, you know we were worried, even sort of, sort of five or six games in, maybe even ten games in, that we didn't have the squad to compete, and a couple of injuries would see us struggle. But the likes of Anwar El Ghazi, Courtney House, Troy, you know, they've stepped up. They've they've done a job, and you know they've performed well. And in fact, El Ghazi and Troy have been our most uh, well, the best in terms of output these last is few it, games. So is, it's crazy, it isn't it? Yeah, it's we, great. We, we got we got to sing Anwar's praises because um, you know it, it's it's well due as well. But yeah, talk about a lovely story. And I know that you know you've done that story, but that story of that's what a leader does. I was telling my son about it. My son hates soccer, but I finally dragged him down the other day. But I was like, see see that because I was watching the game, and he was like, oh, good player. Uh, and he saw Anwar uh, score. I, th- I think it was the. Um, I, I forget which guy it was, but he was, he was like, well, he's a good player. I was like, well, he hasn't always been. He's always been an important player goal-wise for us. But here's the story. Our captain, Anwar, in his interview said, yeah, actually Jack was meant to take the penalty, but he gave it to me because he thought I should have it. And I took it, and then, my, you know, then his confidence was up, and he went on this run. And it's just such a wonderful story. It is, like, yeah. you know, Jack Grealish loves the club. We love him. Captain of the club saying, you're my teammate. I want you to take it. Go bury it. Um, it's just so great. 
Yeah, it's great. Oh, it's fantastic, and and really pleased to see. And at the end of the day, you know, we're Villa fans. We we want our players to be performing well. It's, it's I, I, you know, there's there's not there's plenty of fans who out there who have criticised him. You know, I, I'm sure I've criticised some of his performances, but I don't think his commitment has ever been an issue. He's performed fairly okay. I thought last year in the Premier League, you know, he got four goals, four assists in the Premier League. He got did well, did okay in the cups. You know, that's that's okay for the money we spent for a winger. I don't think that's terrible at all. But but this year, you know, he took a bit of a hit with the the abuse he got online, and he's come back. and And you're right, Jack's been a massive part of that, and Tyrone Mings speaking up for him as well, and shows you the camaraderie and the team spirit that they have. That they're looking out for each other and they're willing to fight for each other. And you know, without without his goals, you know, we we would probably be languishing mid table, lower mid table right now, and we're still in with a shout in the, that sort of top six area, which is. Amazing, and obviously with a tough run of games to come, with Barkley and Trezeguet hopefully coming back sooner rather than later, it's looking a bit better now, isn't it? It it is, and I, I, you said you know it's a game of fine margins, um, and I feel like it is for us now. Like it's fine margins whether whether we win or lose against big teams, and that is a different feeling for me as an Aston Villa fan. Usually, it's it's not been a game of fine margins because the other teams are just going to be better than us. So it's, um, so it, it feels good. It feels really yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, you're completely right. We, I mean, apart from the Leeds game this season, there hasn't been a game where we haven't competed or deserved something out of. And that's, considering where we were last season, where we were performing okay, but not not near enough to the standard that we needed to be at. Yeah. Amazing, amazing turnaround. And and you you you, you get to... Um, I'll, I'll, I'll sing their praises because they deserve to, but you look at, the, look at our back four and it's, you know, we've now got a back four with some strength. Uh, at least in the centre back position there, uh, in depth, and I, I still look at it was I felt bad for him because Conza's I think best things always get cancelled out his goal, but that header that he did, um, which was the game uh, I think it was off Chelsea, it ended up being offside, but he headed it sort of sort of back out of the off the line, net. yeah, and yeah. I was like, how did you do it? You look at it in replay, it's an astonishing like world-class piece of defending. And it just gives me a huge amount of confidence that he's got that in his locker and he's only getting better as well. And um, yeah. Yeah, he's been, I mean, he's been a, he's been a revelation um, this season. And, you know, hopefully going under the radar a little bit as well, because we do, there's plenty of clubs out there looking for a centre-back. Um, for some of the bigger clubs, Liverpool, for example, they could do with someone like Conza. He's been, he's been fantastic. He improved massively over the year. Uh, and actually won our most improved player of the year award in our end of season awards. So, oh, end Good. of year award, sorry. So uh, well deserved, I think. Yeah. And it, you, by the way, it's interesting you said um, other clubs are going to come looking. I'm fascinated to see what kind of when we sell our first uh, big player because every club is a selling club. You know, all clubs sell big players, and you know we, we shouldn't associate we're a small time club. You know, if and when that happens. But I'm really interested to see the strategy that Perslow is taking, just from a business perspective, of because he's that board has definitely decided we're keeping the world class player with Greenwich, um, and I'm, it's going to be interesting to see which of our the first good player that we clearly would like to keep that we let go to see where they feel that we can develop and um, start to start to develop financially with our players as well as on the pitch uh, results. Because we, I think as a fan base, we should be kind of excited that we're going to get to a point where competitive, we're competitive and we're not turning down 
big bids for some good players because we've actually got some strength in depth. Um, yeah, that's a good point, actually. That's a good point. And that's probably why we've hired someone like Rob McKenzie, who, you know, what, I think what, from what I've read and what I've seen, um, they seem to work in this model whereby, they, you're right, they will accept bids, good and, and, you know, reasonable bids, good bids, attractive bids for players because they have a plan in place. They have a plan in place in terms of, well, X, Y, and Z player has the same attributes or can do the same job and it will cost a tenth of the price or whatever and we can develop them with Smith and Co coaching them. You know, Smith and Co have shown already the what they've done with Jack Grealish even, what they've done with Konza, House, you know, these types of players, um, how they can develop these players, how they can improve their play- these players. You know, they have raw attributes there, but they can you know Grealish, Jack Grealish when Dean Smith came in, yes he was probably our best player and he was a r- extremely talented player. But in terms of output and what he was bringing to the team in terms of goals and assists, it wasn't there. And it's under Smith he's done that uh, because Smith has obviously coached him and, and, and worked on him to, to do that. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. When Dean Smith arrived, he, one, of his, one of his first interviews, I remember he said, so we'd lost a game and he said something about, um, well, we'll take it. And, you know, as always, I'll look with how I can improve and how the team can improve and other players can improve individually. And it was a throwaway thing, he said. And then a few games later, we lost again. And he was like, well, I'm going to take it and see how we can improve. And I think that this is a manager and a coaching staff that tries to improve players and themselves and our tactics game by game. And that sounds so so obvious, an obvious thing to do. But I, um, I, I follow... Um, when we were, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a digression why it's, it's such a contrast is during the championship, I started to follow Benjamin Bloom, who's, um, uh, he's yeah. an Ipswich fan. Ipswich he does, fan, yeah, on YouTube, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah but yeah. he does a championship channel. I used to watch and his I, videos as well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good, good bloke, you know, yeah. and I, I started to follow um, the Blue Monday who do the Ipswich because they had Mick McCarthy and that was kind of a disaster. But anyway, it was interesting. They're good people. Yeah, it's a good club. And then they got Paul Lambert. And so I've been sort of watching from afar to see from afar to see how Paul Lambert has developed and the difference in style because I still remember vividly what it was like, and I just it's interesting to see how I process Dean Smith and how they now process Paul Lambert because I had the same thing with some managers you look at you like they don't seem to change or if they do change they just throw the whole thing up in the air and it's a completely new system. You know, now we're playing possession football, you know, and I think you may remember Paul Lambert did that, went to Germany, came back, fine, we're going to keep possession now. But it was, there was no plan with it. Whereas I feel like Dean Smith tries to improve all of the play and the coaching staff, actually. I think it's the coaching staff because I think he is the head coach and rather than a manager, that's how he likes to address but you can see that improvement, and we do get better. And last year, when we got when we avoided relegating, his interview on the last day, he just is right out. He was like, he said, um, the interviewer said, "Are you hoping to avoid relegation, a relegation battle next season?" He's like, "We won't be." He was like, "We've learned a lot. We always improve, and this team always improves towards the end of the season." He's like, "We're not going to be." And you know what? It was true. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I love the guy. But anyway. Yeah, no, no, it does, and uh, no, there was a, there was a fair few fans that this time last year who were um, concerned and uh, were probably I, wavering I a little it. bit. I, I, I was one. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I was one. I wasn't I'm, sure. I wanted him to do well. Obviously, I think everyone wanted to do well, being a Villa fan. But 
we were thinking, oh, maybe we need someone more experienced or, you know, can make a stay in the league. And I think that's natural, isn't it? I think as, uh, as football fans, but fair enough, they're stuck with him. And I think I mean, ultimately COVID, COVID did, say, did save us, you know, that break was much needed and uh, it allowed us to reflect and work on our game and, and work with the players. And that, that sort of ended up paid dividends in the end with the, with the, the fact that we survived. I agree. I, I also think that his, or, or maybe it's the new owners, uh, Nassif and Wes, maybe it's them, but I think there's an inherent decency and honesty about the club now that you just believe what they say, you know? And I, I, I definitely feel that. And I, I think that the, the, the other person who I think has really contributed to this positive vibe by being silent, because he could... He could have really made this these past few years all about him, and all we would hear is when's he going to leave, which is John Terry, because that was the way it was when he joined. It was all the media wanted to talk about was John Terry. All other, I was, you know, how about him? When's he going to go to a big club? When does he want the big job? What's he done? He's done what John Terry does. He's been a complete professional. He's just focused on the defense. You never see him. Like when he is forced in front of the camera, he always talks about the team. He's very modest. And who knows what his ambitions are? All I know is he's doing a fantastic job with that defense and all of that backroom staff. They just seem so professional. Shakespeare, anyway. Mm. I could yeah. I could uh, praise them all uh, all day long. Yeah, no, definitely. I think so. And, and I mean, we, we saw the results of what they did, and, and like I said, post-COVID and you're right about John Terry. You know, he. I think he. You know, he could have easily probably done going down the route of Frank Lampard or Steven Gerrard and managers like them, gone straight into the management role. But he's he's become a coach. He's working at it. He's he's almost a bit like an apprentice, really, working under Dean Smith, trying to learn the ropes, understand how what it's like to be a coach, and, and earn, earn his uh, earn his move really, earn his management move when it comes and when it arrives, because then he'll be better for it, and that's great, and it's going to benefit us. And again, people were dismissive of John Terry and concerned about what he was adding and. I suppose that you can understand it because our defence was so poor last year. But I think, really, I think most fans understood that it was the overall team structure and how we were playing and the fact that players were running through our midfield at, at ease and at will and um, were conceding so many shots was probably the main reason. And we've, we've obviously addressed that. It's been fantastic. Tough test on Friday, obviously, against Liverpool. Um, and I mentioned already, you know, Chazzy mentioned on the last podcast that you know, and this is a controversial point, and I've talked to a lot of fans after some of our listeners around this as well. And, and I didn't agree with him at the time, but you know, he's, he's entitled to his opinion, and I understand where he's coming from. Sort of, he said he, he would almost rather us not win the FA Cup because he can't be there, and it'd be, it'd be, you know, it'd be a bittersweet win, and he just wouldn't enjoy it because he couldn't be there. And um, now I sort of understand his viewpoint because Chad is a guy who goes to every single game. Loves Villa, he lives and breathes Villa like we all do, but him so even more so, such a positive person that Villa is 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 sort of goes through his blood. It is his life. So if he can't be there, it's it's so different for him. But at the same time, there's so many other Villa fans out there like yourself, other fans even in the UK who can't go to the games um, for whatever reason. So for them and and for me as well, you know, whenever we can get a trophy, <laughs> if we can get our hands on one, there's a, and there's an opportunity, real opportunity with this one as well, I think, and we should take it. What should, what would be your approach to the game on Friday? Uh, obviously, we've got we've had a, a break, uh, sort of a week between games. We would we would have had a week between games, but then the issue is we've got these games coming up thick and fast. A game every few days. Would you go? Would you make uh, wholesale changes? Would you put a strong side? Would you put a mixture between the two? What, how would you approach it? I I 
if if I was Dean Smith and happily, I think everybody can be happy. I'm not. Um, uh, but I, I'd go full rotation, and I I would do it not because um, I disrespect the cup. I really want to win the FA Cup, but I think that um, the players who are trying to break into the first team deserve that because they they've been you know rightfully they haven't been able to break their way in, into the first team, and I think that. Um, there are a lot of good players who are chomping at the bit, um, and I, th- I think they should get their uh, shot at the start. And one player I don't want to see play is Jack Grealish. Um, he's—I know he's fantastic, and I know that he doesn't seem to ever suffer fatigue. But he's human being, and I don't want to see him get injured. And I want him to get good, good time off. He's played way too many games, um, and I—I I, I think that you know he's the one who I just don't want to see in there. Um, but beside that, I, I, I'd like to see full rotation and be excited. I, you know, what, one of the things that I'm concerned about, um, but hopefully if Neil Taylor's fit, he could show me. But, I, you know, left back is kind of my priority for the January window, um, just as backup uh, to Target. I, I think Target is one of the wonderful stories of the year. But again, he can't be playing every game either. And... Um, if there's one area of the field that I would have question marks against, so I'd love love to see our backup players step up, it would be left back. So, yeah, no, I agree. I completely agree with you. Left back. I, I mean, Taylor's fine. I do think you know Target's played such a defensive game this season, where Matt, even Matt Cash has got more forward than him, which is weird because Matt, Matt Target last year, you know, he was known for his attacking output and uh, linking up with Jack going forward, and defensively he wasn't so great. This year it's been the complete opposite. He hasn't really got forward. He's been so good defensively. Um, it's been a massive change and again probably um, you know points to the fact that the coaching staff have been working with him and, and that's paid off uh, but again I'm worried about Taylor Taylor's a very defensive fullback and defensively he's okay but he's not up to the standard let's be honest so I would I would 100% agree I would probably I would probably rotate as well but maybe have a mixture of the two maybe two or three key players Ollie Watkins is another player I wouldn't risk at all uh, for the same reasons as Jack Whereas Jack is our talisman and, you know, we just don't want him to get injured. We need him for these runner games uh, and protect him as much as you can. As much as I know Jack will probably want to play and show off and play against Liverpool and, you know, be on TV and all that kind of stuff. Ollie Watkins is the same, you know, he's worked so hard. And I don't think, I don't think it's, it's in him to, uh, if he plays, he'll, he will work just as hard. And, you know, we, we need him at the moment. We have got Keenan Davis as backup and, you know, Keenan's, you know, a decent player and has many good attributes, but I don't think he's at the level of Ollie Watkins and what Ollie Watkins brings to our team. So again, another player that I'd wrap in cotton ball. Uh, and then apart from that, you know, really, I'd probably want to see a mixture. Like, uh, well, I'd probably want to see rotation, like you said. And there's there's players there like House and Nakamba. I, that, I, I was going to get to Nakamba. I mean, how would you crack the midfield? I mean, if we're going to have that, that's my that's my issue. Is you know, we want to. I would like to see full rotation, and I. Would like to see Louise and I'd like to see McGinn get some time as well. But with midfield, I mean, the camber I think is good as a yeah, as as a um, as a replacement at, as DM. But beyond that, then I I look at Connor. You know, it's okay, but yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know. Like, one. Yeah, I, don't know. I mean, I definitely play Ramsey first off in the midfield just for his just for his uh, for his legs and his dynamism. He's been um, a pleasant surprise, hasn't he? He has, yeah, he has. And yeah. the confidence he plays with, you know, he did, nothing seems to phase him as well. 
Um, you know, he nearly came on. He came on against Chelsea. And he scored with his second touch, which I know, uh, wasn't that amazing? Nearly, I, I thought it was in. Nearly went crazy about, it, but I loved, loved if that had gone in. But you know, he's been great, and uh, it probably means we probably won't even look at midfielder in January because he's he's come on and, and done a job. I think. But I would definitely play Nakamba. I think Nakamba's fine. Uh, yeah, Liverpool will obviously, Liverpool will obviously rotate as well. Uh, they won't play their first team. They've suffered with injuries. Klopp's been moaning about fixture congestion. They've still got they've still got plenty of competitions that they're in for. So, you know, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised for them to play a very weakened team as well. So, Nakamba Ramsey fine. Harahan I would play him, but he's out, obviously out of favour. Hopefully, his confidence is in shot. Um, I think he'll want to play for a move away. I, I think he'll he'll probably look to move away as soon as he can because he's not getting a shot. You know, he's at that age now where he needs to be playing. But uh, I, I wouldn't be against play, maybe playing Louise as well, to be honest. McGinn, I would rest just because of his hustle-bustle style and I don't right. want him to fatigue. You know, f- a fatigued McGinn isn't isn't half as effective as a, as a fully fit McGinn. So, but Louise, I think, because he plays that sitting role, he probably doesn't run as much as, a, as, as the other players. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't might be against him playing. Would you, in terms of centre back, obviously Courtney House, I imagine, will come in. Would you maybe look to play Konza as well? Or would you bring Engels back in? Um, I don't know what Engels' situation is. Um, uh, if Tyrone's available, I'd like to see Tyrone play um, because I think he needs it. I I I I think that um, you know the Tyrone's had a lot of uh, not a lot of stick. He's had a little bit of stick, um, and. I just think he's a good player who could use some game time, you know, after he came back after his suspension, he had a break. Um, and I think that without Jack on the field, you know, he, he's, he or um, Elmo are usually our, you know, our second captains, you know, with, uh, with Emmy all the way, all the way at the back being, being the third. So I, I'd like to see him there and I think he could use the game time, uh, but I wouldn't be against, um, uh, Engels uh, or House. I just don't think both of them together. I, I think that may be a bridge too far. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I agree with you completely. I think. I think a team like maybe he obviously Heaton will probably play as well. First game coming back after injury, that'd be great to see him back. But maybe Heaton, Elmo, House, Mings, Taylor, Louise, Ramsey, Harahan, and then out wide again. We're struggling for options because Trezeguet's injured. Maybe stick with Troy and uh, Al Ghazi. Maybe just continue with them and play Davis up front. I think maybe that'd be pretty. Exci- I think it'd be exciting to see um, Al Ghazi and Traore really as you know a primary goal threat, and they are kind of anyway right now, which is great. But I'd love to see them um, have a field day because they're both great players. And no, isn't it wonderful that we've got no hesitation of like sure, you know they'd be they'd be fine against whatever Liverpool throws at us. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think Smith will put out a team that can win the game. End of the day, that's what he wants to do. But you have to manage it. You have to manage the situation, don't you? Yeah, I don't know. If, do we have any other options out wide? I don't think we. Yeah. No, not which. Well, because well, obviously Trez is missing, and then Grealish is the other option, and obviously he won't play. I, I imagine Barclays. Would you risk him for this kind of game? Probably not. You probably keep him and keep him safe for for the for the uh, Spurs game. So really, the, the the sort of wingers pick themselves, unless you play a different kind of formation. Uh, maybe play with wing backs. I don't know, but Bar- Barkley's interesting. I yeah, I don't know. I I still I still remember seeing Barkley play. I don't know whether Liverpool was the first time I saw him play recently or not, but I hadn't L- L- seen L- Liverpool was his first game for Villa. Yeah, first game yeah. for Villa. Yeah, and they were, 
And I was looking at his position. I was like, I don't think I've seen a number 10 play that way before. Like, it was just odd. It was just like, wow, he's really offering something new. Like, just the way he was just cutting straight, like powering through the line. And I'm used to a number 10 being sort of more Jack Grealish-like of like, you know, the... Uh, the link uh, play almost, yeah. Yeah, yeah like, creative you know, influence, yeah. Yeah, holding the spider web, like, you know, uh, doing the passes. And instead, you know, out of the blue, he was like just this powerful player bursting through. I was like, whoa. What yeah, I mean, well, it's, probably, it's why we did so well against Liverpool. I think people, some people who... Been dismissive of Bar- Barkley coming in. You know he didn't do what he didn't do that well at Chelsea. He did okay, but you know he he's a very good player. He's one of our best players instantly by coming into the team. But he's he's a bit like Jack really. He can carry the ball past players, and because they can do that, those kinds of players can can do that. They can take it past players. They've got the pace and the and the skill and the dribbling ability to do that. They take players out of the game, and it opens up space for the rest of the team. And it's a, has a massive impact in terms of when you attack. You don't have to pass through a team. You can drive through a team almost. Now, now you mention it, I think you're right. One of the big changes I've noticed with this team is we've got so many players who can run with the ball at speed now. And that has not been the case in the past. You know, we've had people who could run fast, but maybe not with the ball. And you know, it, it's amazing. Like it, it's, a, it's a fantastic extra level that we've got. And I think that's coaching again. I, I, I think we underestimate like, that's... I have underestimated, there you go, how about that? Uh, I think I underestimated how much coaching mattered until I saw what good coaching did. Uh, and this season's kind of been it. I'm like, wow, this is clearly same players, you know, but they are behaving amazingly. So. Amazing, yeah. Yeah, so uh, look forward to that game. Obviously, we'll be back with a uh, lockdown lowdown after that match and reviewing that match. Hopefully, it's a win and we move to the next round. I love the FA Cup. Uh, I know Rod's mentioned already he loves it. It's something I want to win, something I've never seen us win. I do. Um, and and uh, I, I mentioned to you offline, but I'm hoping to uh, get one over um, my old colleague, Peter Moore, who's the CEO of, course, of Liverpool, yes. who I know. Yeah. I, I, lo- yeah. I, I love that guy. How do you, know, uh, you know Peter then? We worked together at EA. So oh, he, right. was, he was head of EA Sports. I was head of EA Play. And so, yeah, we'd all be hanging out. Uh, in the boardroom and stuff together, and uh, he was a great guy. He, I remember the uh, in his office, he had um, a signed Fernando Torres shirt, um, like right on the on the on the back of his wall. The day Fernando Torres left for Chelsea, I happened to be uh, uh, chatting with him, and uh, Peter Moore got up out of the meeting. He was like, "Wait a minute, sorry, I got something I need to do." Walked out of the meeting, came back five minutes later. I was like, okay, well, well, look. we walked out of the meeting. The Fernando Torres meeting was off the wall in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, that shit ain't. And then he, put, then he, uh, then he posted on social media, what was it? Uh, you'll soon discover that the big club is the one you just left, Fernando. Or something wow. like that. He, wow. he was just yeah. great. I remember that. Oh, it's awesome. He, nice to see someone he, so passionate about their club. Oh, he's great. He also, I'll tell you one more um, Peter Moore story because other fans will appreciate this, is he once was, because he was head of our FIFA game as well, so he went to go visit actual FIFA in Geneva a lot. Um, He once shared a cab with Roy Hodgson from the airport going to the FIFA HQ. And I was like, wow, what did you talk about? He was like, I just berated him and told him what a crap job he did while he managed England the whole (laughs) camp ride. (laughs) 
Oh, God. Like, oh, God. Poor guy. Like, he's oh, been God. like, he, hasn't he suffered enough? Yeah. Oh, it was Liverpool. He was Liverpool manager as well, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, no, was, he was. He was terrible. Yeah. Then I remember that. Oh wow. Yeah, he just Amazing. berated him. Yeah. Well, let's hopefully um, get one over him. I hope you. Uh, <laughs> I hope you gave some stick when we beat him seven two because uh, that doesn't happen very often, ever really. Uh, I. You know so. what? I. I. I did not because because uh, I love nice. I love the I love the man and I I didn't want him to feel bad. But if if we if we win by a one nil, then I'll happily lord it over him. But I felt seven two probably hurt. Uh, yeah, look forward to that game. What, what, I mean, just before we move on to the ACs, uh, what's your what's your prediction for Friday? What do you, what do you reckon the score will be? Uh, I think we'll lose probably a, a high scoring game because both teams will be um, very new, and I think we'll go for. I I could see us three two with us maybe on the losing end, but. Um, because I'm a Villa fan, I will say we will win 3-2. There you go. Right. Perfect. But I, I don't Thank really you. believe it. <laughs> no, no, no. Heart and head, heart and head there. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I probably, I, yeah, I think uh, I think we could win 2-1, but it all depends on the team that we put out and the team they put out. I think that will that will decide at the end of the day. Um, they've obviously got the better squad and, and backup players, but then there are quite a few injuries. So who knows what kind of team they've put out. But I think there's a, little bit of, there's a little bit of pride, I also think, that Klopp, and Liverpool are going to have, you know, when, 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 I mean, I remember when we got thrashed by Chelsea, like 8-0, the next time we approached Chelsea, we were like, we don't want this to happen again, you know, so we approached it a bit different. Great, okay, thank you uh, for that. Let's move on to the last segment of the show, uh, the most popular segment of the show, which is DDA 6. DDA 6. Right, so um, Rod, as you know, you're a regular listener to the show. You've got 60 seconds, uh, and you've got three op- three choices that you've got to go into Room 101, 60 seconds for each, and you're going to basically just give your argument and say why you think each option should go into Room 101, uh, Aston Villa's version of Room 101, and then we'll have a little debate, and then I'll make a final decision. And then, uh, you know, depending on what score you get, you'll go on the scoreboard, and uh, the winner will get a prize at the end of the season. At the minute, James Rushton is winning with three out of three. Uh, the only person to get it. There's plenty on two out of three, uh, but but uh, it, the, and again, just for those listeners who haven't heard before, or this is the first time listening. The reason why it's called Didier Six, uh, Didier Six, the famous Aston Villa player, well, infamous player from the 70s, um, and originally the concept was you had six choices, but we cut that down because of time. So now it's three choices. You get two points for each, um, and that's it. Really basic as that. You ready, Rod? I am ready. I am right. Ready. So I'll start the clock. Uh, <coughs> And you've got 60 seconds starting from now. Uh, complaining about players taking the knee for the Black Lives Matter process. Please stop. Like, please. Like, I live in America. It is. It makes me so proud and so happy to see this universal outpouring of decency from players, referees, coaches in England. I'm begging you. Please don't don't complain about it. Don't ruin a beautiful thing. I'd love to thank those players so much. It means so much to people of color and to those of us who believe in decency in the United States. And it really is different here. Like there are a lot of my friends and neighbors who genuinely are afraid of being executed by the police if they get pulled over. So please just, if you don't like it, just avert your eyes, but please don't complain about it. That's the first one I'd like to throw in. Perfect. Thanks, Rod. Uh, while within time. 
All right, an interesting one. A con- well, not controversial, but an interesting topic, hotly debated topic. Um, and, and you know, is there a specific, by the way? Because I've seen Mings be like, come on, guys, like, let, you know, this is a thing for us. Please leave. Yeah, us yeah, yeah. Anyway. yeah, yeah. Mings, yeah. I think Mings has spoken really well. And this isn't about politics. You know, uh, I've had a couple of people moan at me before that, you know, we shouldn't talk about politics on here. It should be about Villa and football. And really, it isn't about politics. I don't care if you're it's about conservative. Yeah, it's yeah. Good about conservative, democratic, republic, liberal, labor, whatever it is. I don't really care. Uh, I don't really prescribe to any sort of politics, to be honest. I think this is more about the players who are doing it and how important it is to them. These are players that we love, players that um, we look up to, players that play for our club as well, um, who we value and cherish. At the end of the day, if it makes them feel a certain way and this is important to them, then they're the voices that we should listen to. They're the important ones. Uh, It matters to them. Um, And I understand the issue around Black Black Lives Matter movement and the politics around what it is in America, but I think over there and what it's doing there, it's actually a statement rather than a political movement. It's more about what it's representing for these players. They don't really care about the politics of it all or what they're looking to achieve in America. It's completely different to what it is in the UK. It's a completely separate thing. So this is a really easy one for me because I, I agree with it. I'm not going to play devil's advocate with this one. Um, I, I, I think at the end of the day, it's just, it's just being a decent person, isn't it? Just listening to other people. That's as simple as yeah. that. Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, people are hurting and just a moment of silence just to be like, yeah, we, you know, we love you. I mean, it's, it's that, that's the spirit I think we should. Yeah, have. yeah. Yeah, and I understand. I mean, I, I've said this on Twitter as well before, and it's not me being a hypocrite, is I do think that the kneeling uh, symbolism of it, you know, was so powerful when Colin Kaepernick uh, did it uh, back when he did it a few years ago. And since it's been done a few, since and and when it's been done after that as well, and it was so powerful when the Villa players and Sheffield United players were the first ones to do it, and they decided to yeah. do that. It wasn't a Premier League thing. It wasn't like a mandate. I didn't thing. know there that. Were, there was oh, the players. The timings came out afterwards and said, "Look, that was our decision. We decided to do that because we felt it was right." And then it, it sort of carried on after that. So the fact that happened, you know, it's amazing. But I do think it's sort of been watered down, where it's just become a thing that everyone does and normally talks about it. I think the important thing now is taking the action part. Is actually doing something about it rather than just doing it day in day out uh game in game out and not doing anything about it i think the action point is important as well i strongly agree with the action point um but i wouldn't um yeah i'm a game designer so i i there's a power in symbolism there's a power in gesture and it's a very powerful one um and i i can say like i say i look at it with the united states eyes and you know in you in the united states sadly Racism is a part of sports as well. And you've seen the struggles that black sports players have had just trying to express solidarity with people. Um, and so anyway, it's a great thing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I agree. Uh, yeah, that goes, that goes straight into Room 101. I agree completely. That's straight in. Right, Rod, uh, your second one. Ready? Go. The Championship. I want to put the, for Aston Villa. Let's never, ever fucking go there again. <laughs> that was hideous. Like I knew relegation was going to be bad. We all knew relegation was going to be bad. But all of a sudden, we became. It was just so so poor, and we were clearly like the biggest club in that entire uh, league by some measure. We had ownership issues at the same time 
but I want to put the championship in the bin. I'm with Dan Bardell here, which is there is nothing good from the championship. Yes, there are some great moments that I can look back on, but we can talk back, but I hate the championship so much. The lack of TV coverage, which may be related to my third one, but the uh, the some of the grounds, um, a lot of the attitude of the fans. I mean, this is, the championship is a world of who's bitter, right? Because the, the, the oh, even time's the up, fans... Time's up, time's okay. up. All right, all right, all right. This is a good one. I like this one. This is a really good one. So um, I can see both sides of the argument with this one. So championship, um, I suppose the, the other side of the argument is um, that they people see the championship as sort of real football, what football used to be like without the razzmatazz of the Premier League. Um, being able to go to away grounds in big numbers, um, having to be able to win games, go to different grounds, um, come across different teams, new experiences, the promotion season, the 10-game winning run, the playoff that final, amazingly all that kind of stuff. Cool. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, amazing. Good. But at the same time, what I don't agree with was this would happen last year when we were struggling and it looked like we were going down. We we're fans saying, "Well, actually, you know, I'm happy in the championship. I'm looking forward to it. You know, actually, I'm not bothered about Premier League. I'd rather win game in, game out in the championship than lose game in, game out in the Premier League." I never agree with that because I don't see the point in that. We belong in the Premier League. We believe in the, we belong in the top division, whatever it's called. And I didn't enjoy the championship at all. I didn't enjoy it at all because apart from the ten game winning run that we had. Uh, which was amazing. Even that season that we got promoted, before that, the Bruce, with under Steve Bruce, it was terrible. The two years before that, it was terrible. The promotion loss was terrible. It was only those moments in, at the end where we, it was, it was uh, amazing. And even then, you know, is it worth it? Well, I'm not really sure because we should have been there. We shouldn't have been there in the first place. And I didn't enjoy the championship at all. Um, so a lot of people are not going to agree with me on this, but yeah, I, I completely agree with this. I, I didn't enjoy it. I don't want to ever go back there. So for me, the championship can go in the bin. I agree. Right, so two out of two. Well done, right. well done. Um, number three, you ready? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just go for it. Ready? All right, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go for it. I, I got two. I'm trying to pick at the last minute between which one. So Just go. Go for whatever your heart says. So ready? Steady, go. I would like to put in the bin this notion that we're rivals with the baggies. We're not. Just not interested in them as a club. I, I think Dan said uh, Little West Brom the other day. It's like, I really don't care about them. I was so tired of hearing about them uh, in the championship when they were up there. Just don't care about them. Don't want to regard them as uh, a rival or a particularly important derby. Blues are our rivals. Um, everybody knows that, you know, um, baggers are kind of irrelevant. So I, I would put the the nascent baggy rivalry in the bin because I just don't care about them. And they're going down and I'm bored of hearing about that club. So that's that's my last one. Uh, I had another option, which was uh, full match replays for all games for football. I just want that so badly, but it doesn't fit. So I'm going to use the baggers one. All right. Good one. All right. Interesting. Again, a controversial one because for some it fans, is. for some yeah. fans, baggies are a rival because historically, baggies and Villa have played more against each other than, say, Villa and Blues have. I think. Obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners on Twitter or whatever, but I think that's the case. So, baggies have always been more in our eye line, if you like, because historically they've been a bigger team than, say, Blues. Um, but for me, growing up, to be honest, until Blues came up. 
uh, even blues back in the 90s, I didn't really care about them too much. You know, a lot of family members were blues fans. Then they had Barry Fry, uh, the manager, players like Furlong, Kevin Francis, and Pesca Solido, and players like that. I, I, was, I wasn't fond of them or anything like that, but, you know, I didn't mind them at all, watching them on ITV and things like that. Um, but Baggies never, ever came into, into mention, never really cared about them. Even when they came up, they were never really that good. It was only under Lambert where Baggies were, when we were under Lambert, the baggies at the same time were, were decent and gave us a run for our money. Apart from that, they have never really ever done that. In the championship, yeah, maybe we were sort of level pegging a little bit, but I've never ever seen them as rivals. Blues, I never saw them as rivals until they came up in that first game, those first few games where we lost, you know, straight away. I was, you could feel the animosity, you could feel the hatred, and you straight away knew, even if you'd never seen it before, you know, you, you hate each other, as simple as that. So, Again, this is a relatively easy one uh, for me. I, uh, I'd have to. I, I, I want to play devil's advocate with this one. I do. I really do. But I don't really care about baggies. I'll be honest. I don't hate them. I mean, I don't know for some Villa fans who live in areas like Handsworth uh, <laughs> and Warsaw, or those types of areas where there's more baggies fans, say, um, then they obviously do hate baggies, and there's more of a hatred there. But for me personally, and this is me personally speaking, uh, and being the judge, jury, and executioner in this matter. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I can't argue with that. I, I can't. I'm not going to. Like I said from the beginning of the show that we did the first um, video six, I, I'm going to play on merit. You know, if it deserves to go and it goes in, I'm not going to do it just for the sake of you know making sure you don't get on top of the table. So for me, yep, yeah, goes in. It goes well, into one of one. So well done, Rock. Three out of three, the second person ever to get three out of three. So James Rushton is no longer by himself up, up top in the in the heady heights of uh, top of Didier Six table. You're you're now joining him. As a as a game designer, if I didn't do at least okay, I think I'd have to turn in my card. So yeah. I... you played the system. <laughs> you you definitely played the system there. I think you definitely, you definitely went for three three topics that were close not close well close to my heart, but three topics that you probably thought I would agree with. So well done. My, my, that's the way my, that's my, the way you play. Thank you. My my last minute pitch to people who still want to get upset at Baggers fans is it's a lot more fun to dismiss them with a wave of your hand than being beneath you. That's it's a lot more fun. I like that. I like that. Brilliant. Thanks, Rod. Brilliant. Well, thank uh, you. Thank you for your time. It's been really, really enjoyable. I really uh, love talking to you. It's been so interesting actually to talk to a fan from from America. We've we've had uh, Josh Hill before, who's a, a scout at DC United, who talks a little bit about. Uh, being a fan abroad but it was more about scouting and things like that so we never really got that insight before it's been really interesting hearing about your story around the gaming side of things as well sims uh, franchise is something i'm i love played as a kid my sister especially loved it so i, I mentioned to you before we, we played it a lot in our household so it was ama- amazing to have you on really appreciate it look forward to the the liverpool game uh and uh, i'm sure we'll engage on twitter and hopefully your predictions right and the 3-2 win uh puts us into the next round That'd be nice. All right. Hey, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, Rod. I appreciate your time. Thank you again for everyone for listening. Uh, our first late night ramble of 2021. Plenty more to come. Uh, our last late night ramble was the one with Dwight York. So if you haven't checked that out yet, check it out. Uh, audio uh, podcast available on all major audio platforms and podcast platforms. But it's also on YouTube as well. It's our second only YouTube video. So check it out there as well if you want to see uh my ugly mug and Chadzi's ugly mug uh, on there talking to Dwight York. Really interesting interview. We've had some great feedback on it already. Uh, but yeah, check it out there. Uh, if you're on Apple, leave us a review and rating. It helps us out a lot. 
Uh, if you're on Twitter, then follow us at, at Villa Podcast, all one word. Uh, I'll put Rod's details on if you want to follow him as well on, on Twitter as well to, ch- to check his, uh, his profile out and follow him as well. Uh, and apart from that, thanks, Rod, again for your time. Thank you very much. Love the podcast. Love all my fellow Villa fans. Big, big hugs, hugs to you all. <laughs> thanks, Rob. And uh, up the villa. Thank you, everyone. Up the villa. Cheers. I love it. I love it.